This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here and I'm talking to Scott Cronin. And uh, Scott, you want to go ahead and... uh, introduce yourself for all the people who haven't listened before and heard you talk yeah i appreciate it my friend uh i'm scott cronin i live in western kentucky um i teach high school agriculture every day uh, with emphasis on forestry and wildlife management and uh right now we're in the the prime of turkey season and looking at some some issues that are going on with some concerns with our uh our turkey flock and, and trying to work and advocate at a national level to see what we can put together so we can have a an effort and a collaboration of folks to to get some answers on these turkeys and and then uh, you know finish through with a another good spring and and uh, hopefully get some folks out there and and have some good hunts and and even more importantly um, get some new turkey hunters on board so we can uh have some younger people and new people to pass the, the sport and the tradition off onto. Heck yeah. That's uh, it's always a good thing to try and, and pass it on and keep it going for generations and, and uh, conserve certain things. And speaking of that, before we get into that conserving things, um, let's talk some fun stuff. You recently uh, had a pretty good opener and even better than that, you got to share it with the uh, next generation. You want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we've we've been pretty uh, engaged, I guess you could say, since March with uh, getting hunters out in the field, um, young people and veterans and just adults that are trying their luck and and wanting to learn the skill of, of spring turkey hunting and 
Uh, fortunately, I was able to get out for the Kentucky opener this past Saturday with my daughter um, to enjoy a sunrise and, and um, find a few turkeys and a landscape that is definitely changing with the amount of birds that we have. We had to work a little bit for it, but she was able to get out. She's, she's killed a few turkeys and some deer, but she's had the, uh, the, the gun in her hand now for a couple years and has learned the techniques of, of hunting turkeys and decoying turkeys and calling turkeys. But she was able to get out with me this past Saturday and uh, get her first hunt of spring under her belt. And she got to sit next to dad actually tucked up in me and and uh kill her first long beard in the timber from the ground so no blind uh no no decoy set up just good old-fashioned turkey hunting and and she was able to kill a, a really nice gobbler and and uh you know fortunately i was i was able to kill one myself on a on a separate hunt which should have been uh where she harvested her her first bird of the spring but as most young people do sometimes they uh they they panic a little and struggle a little bit with with getting the the firearm under control and getting it on the target secured and, and she just let me know that she couldn't get settled on the shot so i i was able to, to actually harvest that that turkey and and we found her a, a bird to harvest uh, about two and a half hours later so it was great so we'll we'll have some great meals out of that and a lifetime full of memories that's that's great i can't wait until my kids are old enough and hopefully actually want to go out and do those things. Um, but I gotta, I gotta ask you, what was some of the things that you taught your daughter as far as setups and stuff like that, that, uh, you think really benefited or helped out? I mean, was it something that you gave her the opportunity to try to pick and choose, uh, you know, what tree? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, anytime that anybody hunts with youth whether it's their own child or someone else's the we we've got to pump the brakes a little bit and we've got lots of things to consider um the first and foremost thing that we all have to consider is what will make that hunt memorable and enjoyable for that young person we can't go into it with what's going to make that hunt enjoyable and a success for us as an adult so we have to look at all the details Um, we have to look at the amount of task and chore that is for us to undertake the responsibility to take a young person out into the field and we have to work with them whether that's ethical shots uh, shot placement we have to make sure that we're working with a young person as far as recoil and making sure that they're able to work the equipment safely and handle the equipment safely. And that's, that's going to be time spent on the range. You're going to spend time with them studying the species, hopefully in the environment, which, which they're going to be in. And, you know, with my daughter, uh, no different, we were going through a, a, a typical turkey hunt and, and what most people would consider early spring and, and the birds that, that she was on later up in the morning, they were, they were just flat hand up and we took it upon ourselves to, to be patient and, and not push the birds. And she's advanced. Uh, she just turned 11 actually yesterday and, and she's been out and she's been with me and she's been exposed probably a little bit more than the average kid to the outdoors and especially turkey hunting. But, um, 
she, you know, she started seeing what was going on and birds weren't responding to decoys real well. And they weren't responding to calls real well at the distance that we were. And we were only, you know, 150 to 180 yards away. And she realized that, you know, we needed to, we needed to get closer. And she said, dad, we've, we've got to get closer to them if we're going to, if we're going to get one. And she didn't necessarily say that bubble, uh, which is so important, you know, to get in with a turkey, especially these Easterns in the timber, but, uh, we would catch bits and pieces of the birds moving and, and interacting with the hens and the gobblers interacting with each other and kind of still going through a little bit of a spring pecking order where they've busted up out of the winter flock. And, and we sat there and we called a little bit and got a little more aggressive on the call and they gobbled. And she was like, dad, we need to move closer. And, and honestly, Luke, um, the, the fact in what you ask her, her being able to kind of start, uh, that process of, of putting a plan together or, or realizing that things weren't going the way that they were supposed to go. You know, she knew that we needed to change our tactic and our strategy. And, and as a father, not just someone mentoring a young person, you know, it makes you proud that they, they're cognitive enough and, and they're starting to see and understand the the sport enough of of what you're doing that they know that you know there's a process and there's a decision making aspect of it to go through so we moved up and i I eventually i finally told her i I said sweetheart if if we move up closer we have just as much you know of a a percentage or a chance of of bumping or spooking the birds as as we do harvesting one of the birds and and she said dad i i think it's worth the risk and you know, she's like, I'm, I'm ready. You know, she kept saying it. She's like, daddy, I'm, I'm ready. And I said, baby girl, we're going to have to crawl a little bit, you know, not necessarily get down the army crawl, but we are going to have to go to our knees and our hands. And she's like, daddy, if, if you'll teach me how to do it, I can learn how to do it. So I think anytime that an adult starts hunting with a kid, you're going to have to let the kid talk to you and, and see where their level is at and what their experience is. Cause I can tell you this, this time last year, that's, that's not where she was at this time last year. Um, we watched a gobbler come straight in at 20 yards and she was hesitant to, to pull the trigger, even though she had killed turkeys before I upgraded her gun and it was still a 410, but she was just a little bit more timid of it. And that I don't understand why, uh, you know, kids deal with sound, they deal with recoil. And, you know, so I, I look back and I reflect just a year ago, she wouldn't have necessarily done these exact things. And then she's advanced. Um, and then falling back on last year and looking at this year, you know, two weeks after we were in Tennessee and she wouldn't pull the trigger on a gobbler, you know, two weeks later in Kentucky in 2021, she did and was, was happy as can be. And, and this year she just kept telling me, she's like, daddy, I can do it because I wasn't second guessing her. I just wanted her, I, I don't, I don't want my kid to, to, to have to deal with failure if I can prevent it. And failure teaches us so much, but we, we want to see success and we want to see them learn. And so that pace and, and what they're doing, you know, and they're talking to us, we have to be a good listener and we have to remember that we're their teacher and we're their hero and we're their mentor and, and we're all of these things. And when a hunt's coming together, we've got, we, as the adult, we've got to keep our mind straight too, that we, we've got to make sure that we're, we're ready to set this kid up for success. And we're also ready to brace this kid if, if failure, failure happens. So we go through this process 
process. Um, the hunt's going through. She's made the decision that we're going to push forward. I'm glad. Uh, I, I eased up just a little bit. And anybody that's hunted any type of rolling terrain and hardwoods, if you can kind of just picture yourself there as a dad or a parent, being down on all four, my daughter's eight or 10 yards behind me, and I'm just barely trying to, to creep up over the, the terrain, the topography to see where the birds are at. And, and honestly, I, I just got lucky. I seen uh seen two tail fans uh fully fanned out and they were about 75 yards away uh 65 75 yards away and they were they were coming right towards us and um I got back as quick as I could to the base of a good wide tree that we had kind of picked out and and um I sat there and and she was in between my legs and I was up against the back of the tree and I just told her I said Addison Grace I said these turkeys are going to come and when you when you see them you just you put some pressure on my leg or tap me or something but don't don't raise your hand up or don't make any sudden movements and just you know she's seen them before I did because she buried her elbow into my thigh and and she just started shaking instantly and you know I yeah, at 11 years old, man, I melted into the tree as a hunter to be camouflaged, but I, I melted as a father too, because she's, she's sitting there shaking and she's like, daddy, I, I see him. And she's like, I, I'm, she's like, daddy, I'm, I'm going to get one. And, you know, she was, she's holding a gun on her own. Um, she does shoot a red dot optic, which I'm a huge favor of with working with youth. Um, not just my daughter, but working with youth across the United States. I feel like it's it's really good. I think it's an ethical way to let young people get target acquisition. And, um, you know, the birds, she should have honestly uh, taken the shot at, at the gobbler at 25, 26 yards. That was her first good window. I was getting nervous. The bird got in on us, you know, about 10 or 11 yards. Um, she wasn't moving too much, but she was, you know, continuing to follow through and, and follow the gobblers. and. We can only kill one in Kentucky per day, two per season. And um, I just remember whispering to her, uh, I said, Addison Grace, I'm so proud of you, even if you miss. And and she goes, okay, Daddy, I'm ready to shoot. And, and uh, the turkey was about nine yards. It was two nice gobblers. And, and uh, I didn't know which one she was going to shoot at. I just They were separated enough that I was confident that if she shot, they – they weren't both going to drop. It was an ethical situation, and and man, she she tenderinged it, and uh, I mean, turkey just went straight down, and just my daughter's very emotional. Uh, I'm I'm sure you've seen it where she had a successful deer hunt this past fall. Um, she's she's very grateful. Um, she's very thankful for the opportunity, and she knows how much work it takes as a father and as a mentor, um, and she's you know, she's, she's appreciative of that. And I've never hunted with many new hunters or kids. Um, if you spend enough time with them that don't realize how much time, energy and effort you put into it. And so that's the other thing too. Not only do they, do they talk to you or ask questions or, you know, figure out their own setup. I, I truly think that when people see how much time, energy and effort you put into them, I, I truly think that they're thankful and they do take the time to say thank you. And there is a reflection and, and, 
she, uh, you know, she made phone calls and she had pictures and she's talking about the meal and what we're going to do with the turkey. And she wants to give some feathers to granny and she wants to take it to the local store here uh, in the community where, you know, she was signed up for a turkey contest and she wants to have it weighed and we want to go out to eat to celebrate when it's over. So Luke, honestly, um, I mean, she, she made the moves. Um, she's getting to the age where she can tell that things aren't going exactly right. And that, you know, it's taken three or four years of just working with her and, and for anybody that's out there yourself or, or a listener that, you know, they have a young kid or a niece or a nephew or a grandkid. All I can tell you is of all the years, 20 plus years of, of being a mentor for youth and, and getting you truly engaged in the outdoors is do not force them into it and let them enter it and do it at their pace. Be willing to take them when they want to go. If they only want to hunt for 30 minutes or they want to hunt for three hours or four hours, um, that's great. Um, you know, if they have a desire to have a certain snack or they want a pink gun or they want to wear their blue favorite sweatshirt or whatever it is that they want to do, do it and stop focusing on a successful hunt with a youth or a new hunter being a field tag. And, and once anybody gets past that level and you realize that hunt is for the other person, it's not for yourself and success is going to be had. Yeah. I think that's a hard thing to try and comprehend sometimes because you're always, you know, as a hunter and as your skills advance, you're always focused on the end result versus the experience. And sometimes I even have to pull myself aside and go, sometimes I just need to collect myself in the moment and, and capture in my mind the sunrise or the environment I'm in and, and be grateful for the experience and the, uh, the beauty that I'm able to take in, not necessarily that tag that I'm fixated on or that, you know, that 150 or 160 inch buck or whatever it may be and, and, and focus more on the moment. And this year, I think I kind of, I kind of got too distracted by that because I was chasing a deer. I knew he was there. He was bigger. You and I kind of talked about it a little bit and, uh, and and he kind of reeled me back in at one point when we were talking, texting back and forth. And he even said, you know, don't, uh, don't pass on something and, and ruin your, your, op- I can't remember exactly what you told me, but basically you told me to, to focus on the now and, and, and not so much that one deer that I kept chasing. And I kind of regret wasting most of my season doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you know, and, and going through that process, you know, like my, my wife, um, you know, she asked, you know, do you want me to go with you in the morning and, you know, getting up to that hunt and we'll come back on your deer hunt too. And, and kind of what my experience is and, and it's staying humble. I'll, I'll explain to the listeners kind of maybe where I got a advanced level of, of how to work with new hunters. But when I, when I set my alarm at, you know, 3.15 a.m., I'm up, I fix a cup of coffee, my daughter's up at 3.30, and we're, we're rolling, you know, I'm explaining to her, like, there's no foliage on the trees. There was a full moon. Um, the birds were actually gobbling an hour and a half uh, before official sunrise because of the full moon. And 
I explained to her, you know, the, the birds, you know, we've got one window to get there early. And I explained to her the reason that we're successful and other people aren't is because they wait too long to get in or they don't they don't scout their birds enough or they push their birds too hard. And, and I'm always trying to let her know that what we do is different than everybody else because what we're doing, we have decided to do it because it's consistently work for us it's not something that we consistently see with marketing it's not something that we consistently see in an ad it's not something that we consistently see because it's a new product and and she's getting it and when i see hunters um new young old in the middle towards the end uh, you know i I look at my father now and, you know, he's aging and he's getting to the point to where I have a lot of good places that me and Luke can go hunt that me and my daughter can't go hunt. But I got a lot of places that me and you could go hunt that I can't necessarily take my father because their ability to handle that terrain or their ability to train for that terrain or their diet or their nutrition or um, just, you know, I, I can't get them there, but me and you can go there. So you, you can't, knock on people that hunt out of a blind and you can't knock on people that hunt with a crossbow and you can't knock on people that have this method or that method because we're all so young and we're all so ignorant um we don't always see things through the eyes of how others have to see things and, you know, some people don't have a knee that works real well. And some people don't have the ability to have three days off or a week's vacation. And some people don't have the ability to draw back a compound bow and to keep it steady. And some people don't have eyesight. And, and what we start looking at is what we all have is the desire to hunt and get outdoors and be good anglers and to be good hunters and to be good conservationists. And that's, that's what we all have in common. And so when you start seeing people that no matter what their level is, if they're a public speaker or if they're in social media or if they're on some type of platform as an administrative person or a board, and no matter what their age is, it doesn't matter if it's ducks or deer or turkey or fish or whatever, we cannot overlook the fact that, you know, there was an original go when we started to hunt or we started to fish. And what was it? Maybe when we started to hunt, just wanted to kill something. We just wanted game. You know, we just wanted a set of antlers. Maybe when we fish, we just wanted something to bite. It didn't matter if it's a catfish or a bass. And when we go out into the outdoors on private or public lands, whether we go with a gun or a bow or a rod or, you know, a spear, a net, whatever we do, we got to remember that there was something there initially that, that brought us to that um, sport or uh, to, to that passion that we have. And, and that, that passion sometimes is forgotten about, or sometimes we worry about what others will think. And we got to remember that that hunt is our hunt. And if it makes us happy um, and if we feel like we're succeeding uh, and accomplishing our goal, we can't necessarily worry about what everybody else is going to think. And, that can be, you know, that could be a small buck. That could be shooting um, a jake versus a long beard. That could be someone keeping bass where other people do catch and release. We just, we've got to come together and realize that um, we're, we're going to have differences. But we all enjoy the outdoors and we all enjoy it for different reasons. And some people go to the woods for 
uh, a trophy to put on their wall. And some go for a trophy and, and the table fair. Um, and, and some people just go just to get away from the everyday hustle and bustle and the grind of, of being a parent and employee and a son or a daughter or, or whatever weighs on us, um, you know, prior to us going live on the show, um, we, we all, we all have, have our checks and balances and, and sometimes those things get out of order and, and we forget to reward ourselves and we forget what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, um, you know, I, I hate seeing people going a field and walking back to the truck or going back to, to work after their short vacation or their, their weekend off, whatever it is. And, having a feeling of stress or disappointment because, um, you know, we should, we should be coming out of the woods and off the water, energized, and fed. Uh, and if, if we're not fed, we should be coming off the water hungry because we, we gave it our, our everything. And, you know, if we're, if we're tired, um, before we go hunt, maybe we should come back rested. And if we're rested before we go hunt, maybe we should come back tired because we, you know, extracted every ounce of energy and effort that we had, to to put, you know, forth ourselves to, to make or meet our goals. So, um, it's a, it's a weird mental chemistry to be, uh, an angler or a, or a sportsman hunter. Um, you know, because we got so many different things pulling at us, but we gotta, we gotta remember to enjoy that hunt. Yeah. That's one thing. I mean, I always know when I go fishing that, it's gonna most likely it's gonna be a day day of disappointment, but satisfaction that I got out on the water, because I am not that good of an angler. And and it's funny you mentioned that though, because there was a time, there was a period where my goal, especially going out when I first started hunting public land, my goal was just to get on deer. That was my goal. Mm-hmm. And then once I started achieving that, I kept setting other goals. And then once I found a certain buck and targeted them, and had encounters with them. I became obsessed, but the reality of the situation is, is I, I knew there was other places that was guaranteed nice deer that I gave up and bypassed just to get on this deer and then never ended up seeing them, you know, a couple, maybe a couple more times. And that, that was kind of tough. It was kind of tough pill to swallow. I'm satisfied with my choices I made because I still took home deer. I filled, I filled tags, you know, an archery tag and a shotgun tag and took, took some does but i i still i focused on that one buck when i could have had opportunities on quite a few other nice bucks but i never put myself in that situation because i i targeted that one buck that one piece of property and and i'm not dissatisfied but i just there's in the that that little hint of of regret that i sold myself short on experiences i think Mm -hmm. and and that's kind of yeah different pill to kind of swallow you know, normally I'm not in that situation because I never put myself in that situation before. But, and I, yeah. and that's one of the choices you have to make, you know, as a hunter. Yeah. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky. The most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Yeah, and, I, and I'm seeing more and more now, you know, on as, as I age, you know, YouTube or um, 
any type of media platform makes it look like every turkey comes gobbling to the call straight <laughs> down the gun barrel and full strut and, and you know every picture of deer makes a deer look really big because people just can't take a normal photo um you know i'm i'm a high school ag teacher by trade um i'll be honest with you uh there's there's a little bit of photography uh going on out there that ain't necessarily just putting the phone up and snapping a picture you know there's there's an optical illusion going on because i know you've seen it and i know i've seen it you see a picture of someone's deer and you're like man that's a monster and then you see it in person when they go to get it scored and you're like oh man that doesn't even look like the same deer <laughs> and uh you know that that goes back to our kids and it goes back to youth and it goes back to new hunters you know you're asking you know what how do they make decisions in the process and going along the way man if they want to shoot a jake or you know and i'm not i'm not a big advocate of of shooting bearded hens you know if it's legal in your your state and, and i kind of you know i explain that i think it's important to explain that to them at a young age it, you know it's just not about filling a tag make sure that you know what you're doing so you, know, you talk to a kid hey, if you shoot this hen and it's legal with a beard you're killing a lot of turkeys and this is maybe not a good conservation decision and, and have that conversation with them but um, maybe it's a kid and you feel like hey they want to be successful i mean that that's their choice that's their type of let them make the decision tell them what you would do um, see if they can reason through that problem solution. You know, it's taught schools. Might, why not teach it in the woods? And then, uh, you know, make sure that when that new hunter uh, or or youth or whoever, you know, when they when they decide to 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 pull the trigger, or let the arrow fly, or or let the boat fly, or whatever, it, you know, shotgun you know make make sure that they've they've made a decision based on you being a good educator to them and knowing that uh, hopefully you've had enough influence on them to whatever decision they make that they're kind of following the, the same practices you are and and uh you know unfortunately um and in, in this world that we live in today you know there's still a lot of people out there that feel like they've got to grasp a turkey with their hand and show a big bloody head and put a diaphragm call in its mouth or its beak or take the shell and make it look like it's eating it and you know that's how they portray the death of the turkey and their their harvest and you know i'm i'm still over here in a majestic kind of way and respect way of trying to figure out how i can honor the bird and clean the bird up and and stop and reflect and have some peace and, and honestly thank god above that I had my, my health and the resources to do it. Um, that's, that's kind of where I was getting at over, you know, the, the years of doing what I've, I've done. I, I think the most important thing, um, that we do is, is not only create a, a new hunter that is, um, a conservationist. Uh, I think that we create a hunter no matter what age they start, that is thankful for the resources and the opportunities that, we have and to make sure that they know what they're doing and why they're doing it on the aspect of, of being grateful um, to the big man upstairs and and the landowners that let us hunt and the state agencies that are hopefully working in the direction to provide us resources and, and public lands to utilize and, and to 
put all that in perspective and and have a realistic outcome at the end because at the end of the day even the guys and gals that get to go out and hunt every day for a living or they lose money acting like they're doing it every day for a living um, because there are a lot of fakes out there and there are a lot of people that aren't sustainable with their income in the hunting and fishing industry Uh, but it's just an image that they uh, want to portray that you know they want people to think that they're making a living each and every day hunting and fishing when they're really losing money um i i, I want to raise a child and i want to mentor children and, and young hunters to where when they walk out of the woods um or get off the water and get back to the truck or get back to camp i want to be thankful um uh, just just to have the opportunity to get out and go and to remember why they went out and went whether their tags filled or not Absolutely. One of the things you mentioned was uh, shooting beard at hen, and it kind of brings a full circle to what we were kind of talking about before the podcast. And I've shot one bearded hen uh-huh. archery in the fall, but I'd have to say today I wouldn't even make that choice. Now, back then it was different, and I knew there was enough birds, and I wouldn't ever worry about that. And, uh, I mean, I recall a time where there was no turkeys in the state of Illinois at all. They're just, Northern Illinois had no turkeys and went to a meeting, went to the reintroduction meeting uh, and talking, you know, DNR and different departments all got together and we're talking about, you know, the impact and, and, uh, how to successfully reintroduce them and all that kind of stuff. And a few years later they were reintroduced and about after about, I think eight years, maybe 10 years, they actually had a hunting season. I remember a time when I would see over by my parents' house, and we're only talking 12 years ago, a flock of 50 to 60, maybe even more sometimes, in the fields. You'd see that many birds. And and that's when, you know, I would take a bearded hen and not have any qualms about it. But nowadays... right. I do not see them numbers. And and another prime example was I remember seeing a red-tailed hawk swoop down at a bunch of poults that were following in a single file line behind behind their mama and they were walking across a field. And it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen because that hen took off after that hawk and chased it for as far as I could see it go over the tree line. And I'd never seen a turkey fly that far before. And that was Uh cool. And all them little fur balls, seven little fur balls dropped down right behind her (laughs) and went flat on the grass. And that was just one of the neatest little experiences. But you don't see seven little fur balls anymore. And you sure as heck don't see 60 turkeys together in a field anymore. Yeah, we, uh, man, depending on which part of the country you're in, uh, we could really start the pot on this, and we will. We will start it a little bit tonight. Um, we got to remember that the southeast is going to be the heart and soul of your, your turkey hunters. And even though you have a lot of turkey hunting in the west and and and, and you got a lot of diehard turkey hunters up through the northeast, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, all those states are rich in tradition and heritage of, of turkey hunting. There's been a lot of great individuals either in, you know, just the turkey hunting community or call makers, uh, whatever it is, public representation uh, for the sport that have just 
done so much in such a positive way. But yeah, our our turkey numbers are are down. Um, and you know, I'm I was talking about this with people kind of quietly over the last six or seven years that had the power to kind of start making some things move. And unfortunately, I'm afraid we're a little bit too late. Um, a lot of people blamed weather. A lot of people were looking at the hatch, you know, and, oh, it's just a bad hatch. Or, you know, when we they even put COVID into play, maybe over harvest or over utilization of our public lands. But uh, our turkeys are going through a really tough time right now. And um, if the listener will just kind of put their guard down for a little bit, um, I will stay as humble as I can. Um, but but I, I want to kind of explain something for the last 20 years of my life i've got to hunt and fish across the united states and i've been blessed to do that and never at any point in time um become arrogant or got a swollen head or had a hollywood moment because of that there are springs that i was harvesting upwards to 30 turkeys a year keeping a full-time job being a family man and, and doing it as a weekend warrior or utilizing um, time to hunt with, with travel, work-related travel and, and trips. And, and I started seeing a major decline in our turkeys. And I started seeing a lot of things um, screaming at me. And I, and I was to ask other experts to see what their opinion is. Are, are you seeing infertility issues? Are you seeing predation issues? And and honestly, Luke, I wasn't getting a whole lot of data because for a number of years, the outstanding efforts of the National Wild Turkey Federation, um, state game agencies, we were abundant in turkeys. I mean, to the point to where even today, even out west in certain areas you travel, yeah. you don't have turkeys where you live. You travel all the way out here to hunt turkeys. People would look at you like you were an idiot because you would travel halfway across the United States to hunt turkeys. And they were abundant, and, and there's certain areas that they're still abundant in, but as a whole, we've got to remember that there's there's people that on their landscape, they don't have turkeys anymore on, on farms and lands of private and public that were just painted with a healthy turkey population. And there's some things that are going on. There's, there's use of GMOs, there's use of pesticides, there's, uh, a, you know, a more abundant population. Uh, of of predators whether that's nesting predators or coyotes or bobcats or some people are starting to even contribute you know other avian species to to being aerial attackers and and we look at the use of tss and we look at the use of of hub lines and 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 trail cameras and and data and 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 we're, we're just we're, we're more efficient at, at killing turkeys as human beings and and unfortunately, um, you know, our winter flocks in most areas, uh, they were declining like you were seeing. And then next thing you know, they're just poof, they're gone. They, they've disappeared. So if there is anybody that's listening to the, to the podcast or listening to the show and they're like, you know, I'm not seeing that. I'm, I'm glad two two thumbs up and, and congratulations, but the question is, is, is it coming your way? 
um, to the ones that are listening that are saying, yes, you know, I've seen a sharp decline or there are farms that are just non-existent of turkeys. Um, we got to start figuring out where we can come together and work, um, agree to have disagreements, um, to, to put a plan together where hopefully our, our landscape is not vacant of turkeys and that it doesn't get any worse than what it is. We, we seem to be in a lot of areas, not most, it seems to be that we've had a good hatch um, in the southeast, especially even in some of the northern parts of the, the country through the Midwest. A cicada issue maybe was to help with that. Maybe it was the weather. Um, maybe some of our weather right now that we've had, a, you know, a, a different kind of April as far as dragging its feet, getting here and it's been cooler and rainy and cloudy and, and, uh, you know, maybe that's going to save some turkeys for us, but we've, we've got issues. Um, we're going to have to work through some stuff, um, in, in order to figure out, you know, is it, is it mostly disease? Is it, is it viral? You know, what, what's, is there something that's impacting a bird? that's creating infertility issues is there something that's going on more with the male species or the female species do do we have success uh, where we have more people utilizing public lands than ever before and do we have success where we have people utilizing more private land than ever before i mean it are we to the point where we've had so much success in recruiting new hunters that we're over harvesting our flock um yeah, did we over harvest, you know, our turkeys during COVID on top of the aspect that they were having some production issues just with mother nature or maybe something that has come in uh, as, as play or a factor that we haven't necessarily pinpointed yet or got an official science, uh, you know, release data, you know, script to, to, to have a biologist or state agency to, to publicize. I mean, is, is there something going on? you know, in the, in the agricultural world that, that, you know, maybe a, a chemical or a, a chemical company knows something and they're covering something up, or is it something that we just haven't found yet? And, and when we look at all of this, we've just got to, we've just got to remember is as we move through this spring turkey season, um, going back to being blessed and fortunate and remembering while we're out there, you know, when, when season's over this year, besides just running the boar snake through the gun or, you know, switching back to our, our deer broadheads or our deer setups on our archery equipment, it may be time to pick up the phone and call your state turkey biologist, or it may be time to, to, to join a club or an organization or just see what you can do as an individual to, to help go out there and, and help make some habitat better. It may be time to start looking at, at ways and methods and, and what we, uh, we do have to make some decision-making process and reach out to our commissioners and, and maybe support a shorter hunting season or not using decoys or changing season dates. I mean, no hunter wants to see less days afield. No hunter wants to see a reduction of, of a bag limit no hunter wants to see a species that they love and care about that's their lifestyle and their passion no one wants to see that decline but it is and and there is no one person right now or there is no single answer 
on, on how we're going to get through this. And we're going to have to agree to disagree. And we're going to have to make the decision that what one state finds another state may be able to utilize. And, and we're going to have to get through the politics and dollars and, and, uh, all of the the ribbon and tape cutting stuff to to make sure that our that our turkeys are are doing well but luke and illinois kentucky indiana ohio lots of other states i mean it's just not the turkey i mean it's it's there's asian carp um you know we're battling how we handle cwd in one state to the next state and and um, i hope I mean, I, I truly do hope that, that people of our age group and as the younger age group, um, I, I hope that they stay more involved with with their voice and their actions and their energy and their efforts into helping on public and private lands after season. Um, you know, folks don't need to just get fired up for turkey season. Oh, a week or a month before and you know blow their diaphragm calls or get their vest out and organize it and pattern their shotgun just like bow hunters don't need to just get all jacked up when it's time to go hang some trail cameras and get those velvet pictures and you know we need to be putting just as much time energy and effort into our resources 365 days a year as we are during the month of november if we're a whitetail hunter and if we're a turkey hunter we need to be putting just as much heart and passion into saving our bird and 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 promoting what we can for the well-being of the wild turkey and the other 10 months out of the year other than than april and may um and some of our guys and gals listen you know they're getting started started in march down in florida and mississippi and um we we've got a we've got to all move in this shift energy and effort to where uh, maybe we're going to have to start putting less of our dollars into gear and and uh, putting more of our our dollars into to conservation and and instead of putting so much time, energy, and effort into our scouting, uh, maybe we're going to have to start putting a little bit more time, energy, and effort in habitat restoration and and seeing where we can volunteer or seeing where we can can aid our our wildlife because uh, you know I I'm not. I'm not happy that uh, on a rainy day in the spring that uh, I can drive 150 miles through back roads or 200 miles on the interstates and, and not see a turkey in a single field. And uh, I know, just like you know, there's farmers and landowners that blame turkeys for ticks and they blame turkeys for walking down the road and picking out every kernel of corn that's been planted or every seed that's been set in the field. But... um once again, before the show, you know, we're, we're not tilling ground anymore and we're creating deserts with pesticides. And, um, we have a lot of properties that we're not cutting timber on for this reason or that reason. And we're not having succession and we have urban sprawl and we have million dollar houses in areas where mother nature and God used to have lightning and natural, you know, fire that would help promote and regenerate growth and and now insurance companies and and different agencies you know they they stop fire you know we don't let fire even when it occurs naturally when god and mother nature make it occur we stop it as man and and um, i'm not sure that's really what we're supposed to do Uh, we we can do it 
we have the capability of doing it, but I'm, I'm not sure that's what's best for our wildlife. And, um, you know, I think, I think mother nature's always going to win. And, um, uh, I think we can learn from her and I think we can aid her and help her, but I, I never think we'll ever be able to control her. And I'll, and I'll go to my grave, um, thinking that I, I think mother nature sometimes tries to give us a wake up call. Um, whether that's driving those roads and not seeing the turkeys out, uh, whether that's seeing too many deer in an urban area, whether that's driving your boat up and down the river and seeing just a tremendous amount of, you know, invasive species, whether it's carp um, or driving down to the beach and seeing all the kutsu as you go through Georgia and Alabama. Um, you know, there's there's so many examples of, of things out there that are out of control. Um that got away from us and and i'm hoping and i am praying every single day and uh and i mean that 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 our our turkey situation gets better and i'm i'm praying that people will will come back at some level or plateau of a uh agreement to to work for the wild turkey i'm not sure if that will be through turkeys for tomorrow or the nwtf or you know, the BHA or the local sportsman's club, or I'm not, I'm not sure how we're going to get back to grassroots and, and volunteering and, 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 and doing for wildlife. But I will, I will say that no matter if it's turkey or quail or, you know, non-game species, uh, pollinators, I, I think that all of us kind of get tied up in life and get busy. And, and sometimes we take more than we give back. And uh, that's been one of my big efforts this spring with our efforts and working with youth and conservation projects and mentor hunts is to, to give back more than you take. And, and that's, that's kind of where we're at right now as, as uh, hunters and anglers is we need to, we need to remember that very simple statement. And that is give back more than you take. Cause if not, it's not sustainable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that goes with, anything and everything that that we like to do outdoors not even just hunting but but foraging you know if you're taking something you're utilizing the resource try and give back try and think of a way to help it propagate whether that's through some type of management or getting involved and planning something somewhere else uh, hopefully legally of course um, sometimes maybe gorilla methods might be the, the right way in order to preserve something that you know is right, as long as you actually know the science behind it and the bio, biology of certain things. But, but being able to not only ensure that you get to enjoy that resource and use it, but ensuring that the next generation and securing something for that next generation, is, I think that's, that's, that's crucial that as we're users we're also givers. As we take those resources, we make sure that the next generation is able to utilize them too. And that's sometimes, like you said, it's a hard pill to swallow to realize that you're just a consumer, but you need to be something that helps helps give back to it too. So I think that's a good note to wrap it up on. Um, kind of hits nail on the head and drives it home for everybody that you know we, we can't always just take, but sometimes you need to give back. So uh, Scott, before before we kind of go and wrap everything up here, can you, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or try and maybe get involved in some of the stuff you do as far as uh, conservation or mentorship or anything like that, especially in the state of Kentucky, or maybe they just want some uh, some help to get something set up in their home state, 
uh, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, well, whenever you post this, uh, I guess just tag me on uh, social media, and uh, will they can always reach out to me through some type of, of message there. Um, if they want to reach out directly to you, um, feel free to give them my cell phone number or email or whatever it is. But uh, main main thing is anymore, I guess we we love it or hate it. We uh, we live through the world of, of social media, so <laughs> with the uh, all the security aspects of it out there. If, if they will just do a little Google search or maybe reach out to you or find me on the uh, Facebook or Instagram, I'll, I'll be more than happy to, to help anybody and, and uh, to close out on one thing. I know that we have both men and women who enjoy the outdoors and we have young and old who enjoy the outdoors, but, uh, there's a lot of us out there and we still are pretty predominant in the male species being in the outdoors uh, or being the stereotypical user of the outdoors. Um, we need to let our guard down and, and admit that we just don't know some things, uh, but, but we're willing to help. And, um, you know, reach out to your biologist, reach out to your game wardens, reach out to your um you know, local agency officials and administration team, hunter ed coordinators, and just tell them, say, I want to help. That, that's all I want to do. And sometimes when a man grows a beard and gains some weight and gains some height, it's sometimes it's hard to stand in front of somebody else and say, I don't know how to do something uh, or I want to help, but I don't know how. And, uh, you know, please, please drop that guard and, and, and realize that, uh, you know, your your time, energy, and efforts can be utilized somewhere. Your resources can be utilized somewhere. Your equipment, your company, your finances, something can be utilized that each and every one of us have out there. No matter what our age, no matter what our sex, uh, no matter what our religious belief. I mean, we, we all have something to offer, each and every one of us. Consumptive users and non-consumptive users, husbands, spouses, sons, daughters, grandchildren, grandparents. We all have something that we can give back to Mother Nature, and she gives so much to us. So it's a it's a great thing to return the energy and efforts on to. Absolutely. Scott, I appreciate it, and thank you so much. As always, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, sir. I've enjoyed it. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish this is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here from the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters enjoy the best fishing panama city beach has to offer during chasing the sun sundays at 9 30 a.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment oh that's awesome don't miss
It's Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.